Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to a reload of the What's Next podcast. This is one of my favorite episodes, and I always like to bring those ones back that had a huge impact, not only on myself, but I got a lot of feedback from listeners just like you. I hope you enjoy this week's reload of the What's Next podcast. Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to this episode of the What's Next podcast, where I have the pleasure of welcoming Robert Glazer to the show today. He is the founder and chairman of the Board of Acceleration Partners, a global partner marketing agency, which has, by the way, been uh, awarded Glassdoor's Employees' Choice Awards two years in a row, which that is amazing, which we'll talk about that. He is the best-selling author of five books, and he has another book coming out called, called Elevate Your Teams. And so we're going to dig into that. Um, and I'm super excited to have you here, Robert. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tiffany. So before we get started, we are going to jump into something I call bullish and bearish. It's nothing too okay. painful. Uh, bullish is you're for it. Bearish is you are against it. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. The first one, chat GPT. Bullish. All right. Let's talk about that, especially as it relates to sort of communication. Next one, autonomous vehicles. Uh, bullish. Okay. And the third, a little more fun, uh, robots on skis. Uh, bearish. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I sort of would worry about this big monster weight robot metal contraption. Yeah, I'm hard enough getting our time getting around the snowboarders. I'm not sure how the robots would work. <laughs> I agree. All right. Well, let's dig in. You know, I, I let's start first by talking about acceleration partners because I think it's important to sort of you know, talk about your quote unquote day job, right? And yeah. and the fact that you guys have uh, won twice, right? Glassdoor's Employees Choice Awards. That says a lot about the organization, your culture. And so so maybe start us there. Sure. Um, so Acceleration Partners is a global partner and affiliate marketing firm. We've been on a pretty fast growth clip for the last 10 years, going to about uh, 350 people uh, globally. And as you said, we really focused on building a different culture, especially in the agency world. As I was building the company, I was like, huh, as I worked at all these big companies, there were so many things I didn't like. So if I'm going to build a company, I'm going to try to do an opposite of a lot of those things. And I think you know, there, there are a lot of growth companies out there, but I think, you know, we grew self-funded for almost all those years, you know, decade of 30% growth and grew by kind of growing with our people. 80% of our leaders kind of have grown up within in the organization. And we were, we were actually virtual too for the last 10 years. So we had won these 25 best places to work awards when we were virtual. I remember when we won the, the Forbes Small Giant Top 25 Businesses, the, the blurb said, and apparently Acceleration Partners is a great place to work, even though they don't have one. So before COVID, like everyone thought we had two heads. And then after COVID happened, everyone's like, can you tell us kind of what you've been doing here? And I always said, you know, our culture was very much about flexibility and autonomy combined. It wasn't about being proud of remote work or being remote only it was about hiring people, giving them the flexibility that is desired, but we had goals and accountability that came along with that. Yeah. And I think that's where companies really struggle is in that flexibility and autonomy slash sort of metrics, right? Like what's yeah. the balance between it, right? Because I think if, if it's too flexible and autonomous, then you kind of might lose sight of the business. If it's too rigid around metrics and productivity and performance, you lose the autonomy and flexibility. I mean, I think it's always this balance. Is that correct? 
Yeah. And, you know, people are always like, well, how do you know people are working and how do you keep I'm like, look, there are a lot of these things are best practices for great organizations. Like you should have dashboards. You should have public dashboards. They should be outcome oriented. You could, you know, we know this in sales. It's funny. I always look at sales as the example. Like you don't ask the salespeople how many calls they make unless they're really struggling. You say, how much, how much did you sell? Right. I think we struggle in these other things to look at what are the metrics of outcome and success and not the measure of input. For years, I think a lot of managers have been managing input by how many hours they see someone in the office. I can tell you a sales manager has never managed a salesperson, you know, by counting their hours. No, probably not before the pandemic. And then you saw this huge hard pivot to, I need to know what you're doing every second of every day. Like I, I heard some companies were for call center agents that were working remote, had to leave their camera on all day. Like, so that yeah, they could, I, heard, you know, I had a woman ask me that at a conference. It was so uncomfortable. I was like, that's like a worse practice. Like, she's like, I had my team leave their Zoom on all day long. I'm like, did you ask them how they felt about that? Well, yeah, that, that, <laughs> and then the other was uh, tracking software, right? On keystrokes. Yeah. And that was, it grew like 3000% or something in the first eight months of the pandemic. So that's the opposite of, first of all, that makes me feel like you didn't trust me when I worked here because right. and it, what you're telling me is you don't trust me if you can't see me. Right. Versus that. that, that right. That's a yeah. low trust culture. And to what you said, like uh, I have a slide on this to the tracking that one of the number one sellers on Amazon is a mouse mover. And so you have companies running, asking their managers to look at tracking software and employees buying mouse movers. You have lost whatever game you're playing in your business. Yeah. And it says it says to your point, it says a lot about culture. And I think that's a great segue to talk about, you know, one of your best-selling books, Elevate, and and now kind of the follow-up to that, you know, Elevate Your Team. So let, let's start with Elevate and kind of what the context of that was yeah. and why you felt like there was a necessity for this kind of double click on that same concept for teams. Yeah. So, so in Elevate, uh, the book was about this notion of a capacity building framework and that there's four elements of capacity, spiritual, intellectual, emotional, and physical. And this is basically how you get better and how you improve. So spiritual is sort of your core values, what you're good at, your strengths. Intellectual is how you kind of learn, plan, execute with discipline, like get better at things. Like you can do something faster and with less energy if you know how to do it versus struggling with not how to do it. Physical is obviously kind of physical and mental well-being. And then emotional is, is both your relationships with other people and then how you react to the things that are outside of your control. And, you know, I picture these things as like a four quadrant ball that sort of rolls. And if they're growing together, it gets bigger and a lot of momentum. If you shrink one of those to zero, the ball is kind of going all over the place. So I think it was very helpful as a, a leadership development framework for people on, on for themselves and their teams. But then, you know, when I looked at our organization, I was like, what does it look like for a company to have this as an operating system, like where you're helping actually your employees understand what they're good at, their core values, how they're going to lead, what the stuff they shouldn't be doing, because they're all these tests and different things show that they're not good at it. <laughs> so why would, you know, why would you ask them to, to do it? Why would you say, hey, you're, hey that's not, you're, you're better at this other thing. Again, intellectual is, a, you know, how do you make a culture around learning uh, and development and improvement and getting better and really uh, particularly around feedback, like a culture where people know how to give and uh, accept feedback. Physical is about, particularly with everyone working from home, as you said, how do we create some boundaries and give some people some time off and have them kind of work hard and react? And then emotional, to me, I think the biggest thing in organization is how do you have sort of psychological safety and trust at scale so that people can have tough conversations, they can get to know each other, you know, they can feel like they're part of that community. I think organizations that do that really well outperform the ones that don't. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, there's a couple of things. One, 
the comment about the ball, right? The four parts of the ball. And if it grows evenly all, you know, then it just kind of keeps moving, right? Rolling, gaining momentum, right? That sort of effect of everything working in harmony. I'm hoping you're agree- you're going to agree with what I'm about to say, but it's very difficult to get everything to work in harmony all the time, right? Some things are going to have to pull you, right? I need to double down over here, you know, as an organization, I'm not necessarily talking individuals, and then I need to pull back on this. And so it's always this ebb and flow of those quote unquote four things. Yeah. Um, and if you use that metaphor and one thing gets really small, that's not rolling anymore. But Correct. yet it could be, right? If one thing is really needed. They're, they're, never, they're never totally true. Like, for example, I mean, I've, and you launched a book. I've destroyed my physical capacity in the process of launching books, you know, about <laughs> physical capacity. Like, you're exhausted mentally and yeah. physically. So, you know, you have a week where you sort of say, oh, look, this is getting out of alignment. I need to pay attention to this. But in the long run, like, it's a great example. If your physical capacity is terrible, right? If you are exhausted and irritable, like think about, okay, you, you lose sight of your goals, you lose sight of your values, you, you, you don't learn, you're not really doing things really well, your discipline goes to hell, your, your relationships, you're cranky, like, so, so when one of these things really goes to zero, the other ones, you're, it's never perfect, but the other ones really kind of come along with it. All right. So, so if, if you've got those four attributes, right, from a elevate the company, thinking about yep. those four, there, there must have been something. And, and what was the performance improvement? But, you know, if you start to see companies really implementing this, what were the lessons learned, right, in, in that first round? The, the epiphany for us from moving this from sort of a personal development to an organizational development was let's not try to make people better employees. And this was before remote work. But I used to always say it's not like someone is terrible at time management, exhausted, bad at financial stuff at home and walks into your workplace of business and is good at all of those things. So the epiphany was like, what if we just focused on holistic development? What if our training focused on, hey, let's let's teach Tiffany financial literacy and let's talk about good morning routines and best practices and what let's pay people to go on vacation so they can actually have a break. Might we actually see better business performance and people see better performance so that they are better spouses, parents, otherwise, because they're not, you know, all consumed by work. And I think that was the sort of like, hey, why don't we think of this as a talent development strategy, create a culture that sort of rewards these things, which is figuring out what, you know, what you're good at, you know, learning, having some balance and stuff in your life, having good relationships, focusing on the thing you control. And might that be a really good win-win? The other benefit of that is a lot of people are just training people for the jobs of today. When if you're growing 20 or 30% a year, you need people that are ready for tomorrow, right? It's not, they don't need the skill of the job today. They need some, you know, capacity or talent or ability to do things at a higher level. Yeah. And, and the World Economic Forum, you know, sort of predicts that 50% of employees will have to reskill by 2025, right? So yeah. even if you're not growing at a clip of 20%, right? If you're right. growing or you're not growing or you're flat, like, people have to sort of skill develop, right? I mean, and, right. and some of that, and, and to the point we were talking about a little, a, a few minutes ago on that kind of autonomy and flexibility is I need to sort of know how to make those decisions, right? So wait a second, I don't have the skills. Does the organization support my interest in reskilling and, right, and allowing me to be better at my job? Yes, check. 
right? And so then I can show up and be fully capable and able to serve customers. So like when you said, it's not like they leave home and they're, you know, they're a complete mess and they show up at work and they're, they're on it. Right. It's yeah. usually a rough. Yeah. They don't even leave home. They just, they just log on. Right. Yeah, so Or they log good. on. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, so, I mean, ultimately there is a lot to be said for this curiosity and interest of people to want to be better. Right. So that it then shows itself across their entire spectrum of their life, right? Personal and professional. And look, and these, 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 that's what I'm saying. It has to be baked into the culture. So culture that's all about learning where people are doing book clubs and podcasts and they're getting feedback and like that, you know, then that starts, you know, we see people taking Spanish lessons or things that aren't even related that, that starts to permeate in terms of, Hey, this is a place where you kind of have to get better, but that's something that's exciting. You know, it's not otherwise. So I, I, I just think that that's the thing where it sort of becomes institutional. Like feedback is one of those things where like people don't know how to get, it's super valuable, but people don't know how to give it. They don't know how to get it. <laughs> and, and so how can you get better when you are terrible at giving feedback, your defensive receiving, like you actually have to build and train. Like we train people on, here's how we give feedback. Here's how we don't give feedback you can call the CEO and tell them of the organization, tell them this and they will say thank you and listen to you. Like these don't, don't things don't happen. They have to be kind of baked into the culture. But I want to clarify something because you said, look, the culture needs to have that sort of mindset of learning. Yeah. But even if the culture has a mindset of learning and the individual doesn't have their own personal compass for learning and curiosity, it doesn't matter what the company does. That's why I was 100%. trying to sort of, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so, so, you know, you, if you're not willing to invest in yourself, nobody's going to invest in you. Right. I, I mean, I agree. That's, that, that's the accountability piece. Yes. I mean, one of our, our number one core values own it. So you are given the opportunity and frankly, someone in our, you know, think about the rule of 72, you know, as a compounding, if you're growing 20 to 30% a year, that means the organization's doubling about every two and a half to three years. That means people have to get better. So someone who comes into the organization, there might be a couple roles for people who just want to do the same thing and not improve and not get any better, but it's, it's not going to work for us. It's not going to work for our type of organization. Let's make the assumption, right, that you've got a group of employees who are curious and interested in improving their own personal development so that yeah. it you know, sort of shows itself at work. Make the assumption work <laughs> has a culture of learning, right, and yes. supportive and flexibility and you know, all the things that go along with both kind of have to work in harmony. Then you have this concept around kind of elevate your teams. And so now it changes into kind of an individual connection, individual employee to, you know, organization to now individual employee to a team of, let's say 10 people, right? That's everybody. And then a, you know, cross-functional collaboration, you know, partners, regions, segments, industries, you know, yes, if you're in a small business, that team may be 10 people and that's the whole company. And then if you're growing exponentially, it becomes 100 and 200 pretty quickly. So, you know, how do you take what we've just been talking about and apply it to, I'm listening and I'm, I'm listening to this conversation between, you know, Tiffany and Robert, and I yeah. am a manager of a small team. How do I take this information and apply it to that small team? Or I'm a leader and I have a broader remit. How, how do I sort of put this into action? Yeah, I mean, I, I, not to say, like, obviously, go into much more depth in the book on this in specific examples, but I suggest that people start in that order, which is help people figure out themselves, their values, their strengths. There's a whole bunch of assessments and things they can do. So start, this is a culture where we try to understand who we are. 
you know, then we start developing things. I mean, something you could do tomorrow, start a podcast club. So we mentioned ChatGPT. You know, when something like ChatGPT comes out or NFT comes out, we what we've done is we send people a couple podcasts and then we're like, hey, listen to this. If you want to join sort of a strategic brainstorm group about this, we're going to sit and talk for an hour on Tuesday about how this could apply to our business and the implications of our business. So it's funny. People still have book clubs, but I actually think podcast clubs are almost better for everyone because everyone can listen to it for an hour when they're running or yeah. doing everyone. And then look, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about this and talk about what this means to our business. If you're a manager around physical capacity, like don't send emails all hours of the night. When you go on vacation, tell your people, write it out of offices, I'm on vacation and please don't bother me unless it's an emergency. Don't say I'm on vacation and here are the hundred ways to reach me if you have any questions, right? Because right. all, 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 that just models to people that like there's no firewall. People desperately need a firewall. I actually believe if you give them some real break, if you give them a life outside of work, they will come into work with more energy and do better work. Marissa Meyer showed us at Yahoo that more is not more. She came in bragging about her 100-hour work week. I don't think this case study is talked enough about her 130-hour work weeks. If you do the math on that, it's just ridiculous. They bought 52 companies in four years that were all worth nothing. Everyone worked a ton, and there was no tangible benefit of it. Yeah, well, I, and I think there's always sort of that, and I agree, you know, it's working smarter, not harder. We've said that <laughs> yes. for a long time, right? <laughs> Um, but but I would say that I myself I'm well aware you know of of what we're talking about. I, I talk about this on this podcast yeah. all the time. I talk about it with execs all the time. I still find myself burning out, right? I still find myself f falling yeah. back to old habits. I still find myself taking on too much and then just being overwhelmed. I have a unique situation, but I'm an individual contributor. I don't have a team of people. Right. Um, and so I'm actually the keeper of my own madness. So the only person to get so mad have at- that conversation myself. with yourself, yeah. But <laughs> what's interesting, but if you were a leader, and I think this is true for a lot, and this actually, you teed this up nicely for what does emotional capacity look like? I realized like a couple of years into- COVID, the managers were falling apart. They had just held the water for everyone, but they didn't tell their teams that, right? They didn't be like, I'm exhausted. I need a week. Like actually showing that human element to people, I think went a long way. And they were like, oh, I thought it was just me. Like I didn't understand why I was struggling so much. And you seem to be doing great. So the ability to just even have those conversations, I think like for a leader to say to their team, like, you know what, guys, I actually been taking Friday off. I am like toast and I need to come back. And it, that, that just models healthy behavior. Yeah, well, I've definitely noticed now people are putting sort of at the bottom of emails, like my hours might not be your hours, please answer yeah. or respond during yours or kind of asynchronously working. You know, obviously I work at Salesforce, so Slack is a big part of that sort of digital co collaboration and really putting guardrails around it. And so, you know, people listening might be like, yes, but oh my gosh, I have a boss who's just like hard charge all the time and doesn't sort of have this mentality, what what would you recommend to them to try to take some of that control back in their own situation when they may work for a boss that, it, that that's not their way that they work? So first of all, reach out on the site, give me your boss's address and I'll send them, send them a copy of the book. So that's a, that's, that's a good way to start. Be happy <laughs> to do that. Anyone takes me up on that. But one of the things, you know, the 80-20 rule and all this stuff, I mean, the data is really clear. I think focusing on outcomes, I think if you're trying to manage up I think reframing your boss around outcomes is super important. You know, one of the things that people manage up to me a lot of times is like, I'm constantly the new idea person. And so they have learned like, hey, that's a really great idea. 
which one of the four things that you already asked me to do, do you not want me to do in order to do that, <laughs> right? So they make the cost sort of clear to me of the organization rather than, oh, I, I'm too busy or it's not enough work to do. I think going to a boss and saying, doing this, this new thing is gonna cause this trade-off. This initiative is not gonna get us to this outcome. And by the way, you said, our, here's our outcome at the quarter. I think trying to redirect people around, what did we say? And in some organizations, they don't have clear goals. You should have quarterly goals and annual goals, but what? Let's reorient around what we said we we're going to do and whether we're actually doing that. Yeah. And I think that's where people also have to have the confidence to do it. Yeah. But they also have to have, and I'm going to sort of throw out one of these terms, right? The psychological safety that if they do it, that it's going to be received. It'll be okay. Yeah. Look, a hack on this, I always say in feedback is this otherwise. Tell someone, this is my number one client service tip too. Tell someone why it's bad for them, not why it's bad for you. That's always cycle. Like the boss, again, the boss says, look, you like, I can totally do that. But if I do that, it means this isn't going to happen. Is it is okay if this doesn't happen? So I actually have seen people really comfortable with that approach because it, it doesn't mean no, it's not saying I have too much work, but it's explaining why the person asking it might not actually get the outcome that they're looking for. And, and people seem to be like a little more comfortable with that approach from a managing up approach. Well, you know, there's a comment you made earlier in our conversation about kind of the capacity building. And, you yeah. know, years ago when I was in my previous role, I used to talk about capacity planning all the time where I'd literally say, okay, how much revenue are you trying to, to achieve this quarter? I'm just tossing out numbers. Okay. A hundred million dollars, whatever, 10 million, 1 million, pick a number, a hundred million dollars. And then they'll say, and we can hire 10 salespeople because 10 salespeople will each do 10 million and that gets mm, us yeah. to 100 million. I said, okay, well, 10 salespeople, not everyone's going to hit 100% of quota. Like, so the average quota attainment in a team is like 54%. So you really need 20 salespeople to hit the number if you're playing the rule of the fact that not everyone's going right. to hit. And a quarter of them won't be here in six months, right? And yeah. a quarter of them <laughs> won't be here in six months, right? So, okay, so you've got that sort of capacity planning. And, and same thing in... The okay, I'm ha I have a team of five and they're accomplishing this much, right? Their output is X. And now next year, you know, or next quarter, the leadership team comes in and goes, okay, we have to do X.5, right? And then yeah. the team is still the same number of people. Yeah. And so you just don't get the performance, right? Then you get burnout, then you, people are leaving, then people quiet quit and whatever sort of term you want to use. And ultimately, it's because leadership isn't willing to, you know, I can't spend the money on the heads. We need this productivity or output so we can hire those heads. But then you, in the end, you didn't get the number and you don't have the heads, right? Both things sort of fall apart. And I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it becomes a very vicious cycle. <laughs> so based on that, right, I have a goal of X and it's always easy to use sales because it's very, or you could be in marketing or customer service. So it's the, okay, well, it takes them, I hire someone, it takes them three months to ramp or four months to ramp before they get first sale. And they're, you know, at capacity, it's sort of eight months. And so, you know, that's sort of this, whatever the numbers are, it, it is really a numbers game around capacity. How many sales reps, how many customers, how many phone how, calls? How many, how many leads? Did, I mean, how you can many increase leads, the capacity of the leads, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's all that. And, and that requires an assumption. And what I often see happen is, the executives, right, leadership team will change the number, right, move the goalpost. And then I used to, you know, in my previous lives, I'd be like, okay, well, wait, hold on a second. We just said that someone can produce X. And now yeah. you're saying that you want them to produce Y when 
so the assumption changed. It's like, well, yeah, okay, the assumption changed. Then you plug it in and then it spits out, well, okay, we can't get to that number with those assumptions, right? And those organizational capacities. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those rubs of doing more with less is not a strategy for success. Yeah. And, and look, in all these things, it's right. You have supply and demand, which is basically capacity. And do you have to grow the bottom or shrink the top, right? You either have to find ways to build capacity or you have to, to shrink the demand in some way. But you're right. Sometimes the math just doesn't doesn't work out. All right. So we're at the, the math doesn't work out. <laughs> and I'm going to sort of, you know, lead towards this, you know, elevate your teams and the framework. And I think there's a lot of benefit, you know, for those of you listening, when I was still managing people and managing teams and managing revenue and all of those things, having this kind of organizational rigor and some kind of assumption that everyone agrees to, and you're sort of plugging things in, um, allows you to have conversations that, by the way, are not emotional, they're not personal, all of those things. You signed up for the million dollar quota when you asked for the $200,000 thing and everyone's doing it like we knew what it was. It was never debated. Like we all, right. We, everyone's on the same page when those things are put out there. And then it's so not emotional. Like people always say there, do you have a dashboard? Are you going every week? Is it, do you have the psychological safety? Like red light, green light. Hey, Tiffany, why is that red? It's been red three weeks in a row. Like that's a, that's a conversation you have to have in a performance oriented culture. Yeah. And, and, and I will tell you that when you are negotiating up to your point, right. Or communicating up in any role, you sometimes will get ignored if it, it, if it's coming as this sense of I'm emotionally passionate about it and I'm fighting for it versus trying to make it almost emotionless. Right. And just sort of go, hold on. We said we could do five a quarter or whatever it is. And now we're being asked to do eight with the same amount of people. It's not going to be possible. We're going to start to get diminished returns. And so we either need eight or we have to shift the number, right? And, and yes. then it's not, I don't believe this can happen or I know this won't happen, right? And then it becomes very personal. And so I will tell you, it's one of the best lessons I ever learned. And it was all the way back in 2002 in a consulting project. We nailed these assumptions. The executive team signed off on it. Not four months later, the executive team forgot the assumptions, right? And all of a sudden everything doubled and half my staff was gone. And I'm like, hold on a second. Like what happened to the assumptions and what we'd agreed upon, you know? And, and I, when I learned that lesson, it was a huge benefit. So if you're listening to this and you're feeling like you're facing this, pushing the boulder uphill and no one's listening, find a way to remove the emotion and create this sort of framework where you can elevate the flexibility and autonomy and, and some of the things uh, that Robert's been sharing. So anything else you'd add to that? If you move the cheese, then it's a totally different game. But if you agree to upfront, then you should have the flexibility autonomy to get there as long as you're delivering it. My friend Kim Harold always has an interesting analogy. He says, look, your car has a speedometer and, and a gas meter, right? And that's what you look at 95% of the time. If you have a problem, or the car doesn't work, you will pull it into the shop and then they will go through all of the diagnostics, right? You go through the diagnostics when you figure out why is the car not running? <laughs> but on a day-to-day -day basis, it's like the speed limit and, and the gas. And I think that's where a lot of managers, too many discussions, too many details. Again, if you're behind on your sales, then we'll get into your calls and your follow-ups and your tactics. But I don't want to spend all day focusing on that. Like you've agreed to the KPI, right? So that that's what I'm going to manage you to as long as you're getting the green light on that. Absolutely. Well, Robert, this has been a great conversation. I know you threw out a challenge uh, to people who, uh, you know, their boss may not agree with what we're talking about. Yeah. So let our listeners know how they can keep in touch with you, follow your work, 
and send you that note. I can't wait to see how many people do it. <laughs> sure. It's uh, robertglazer.com uh, has the podcast, book, everything, Friday Forward and that stuff. If you're looking for the quick link to the new book, it's EY, like elevate your team, EYTbook.com. Amazing. Well, Robert, thank you so much for spending time with us and talking about your new book, Elevate Your Team. For those of you who listened, if you liked what Robert said, go out and grab a copy. But as always, I appreciate you spending a little bit of time with us today on the What's Next podcast. My name is Tiffany Bova. I'm your host, and I look forward to having you join me again next time. Thank you again. Thank you.